so grateful to uh, be here with you all, my family. So let's pray and let's go before our great God. Let's pray. Father, um, you're so good to us, Father. We thank you that you've provided us uh, your word, uh, not primarily for instructions, but to let us know who you are and so that we can know just how good you are, Father. I pray that as we read your word, that we would rejoice in your goodness, and that would be the things that motivates us to live the way that you've called us to live. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, there's, there's at least two ways to turn from God or to run from God. There's at least two ways, I think, to dishonor God. And the very first one is this, to disbelieve things about God that are true. Right? The reason why the Bible starts off with God speaking and things starting to take place is to cement in our minds that God is trustworthy. So anything that he says takes place. God speaks the truth. One way to dishonor God is to disbelieve the things about himself that he says are true. Here's the next way to dishonor God. It's to believe things about him that are untrue. Or to expect things from him that he never said that he was going to give. And I think we do this all the time when we take words and ways that we understand words and impose that on God. One of those words is this. Protection. What do you think of when you think of protection or a God that protects? Most of us think of this concept of danger being protected, shielded from harm, right? So on any journey that somebody finds themselves on, the most important thing is the destination. Where is it that I'm trying to go? The next most important thing is danger that lies on that road. Will I be protected from that danger? The car was invented to take folks somewhere, and the seatbelt was invented to protect them from the dangers that fall on the road. The seatbelt was meant to protect people from being projected out of the car. The goal when you get behind the wheel of a car is to get to the place that you need to get to and to avoid conflict at all costs. But in case you run into a conflict, there is a seatbelt to keep you from being projected out of the car. When we think protection, we think being kept from harm, witness protection, right? It's that thing where, where there's somebody that's meant to testify to some truth, and as a result of what they know, they find themselves in danger, and so what takes place is somebody puts them in witness protection. They take them from harm, they keep them safe, they hide them until it's time for them to go to a place where, once again, they're free to share all of what they need to share, and they can avoid any conflict or danger that comes their way. That's the way we tend to think of protection in our world, but I want you to know is if you think protection in that sense, when you think of God, then you have believed something of God that is untrue. That's the thing about Christianity. God doesn't protect that way. And if we tend to impose that on him, then what takes place? 
Is all the prayers that we throw up asking for God to get us out of this, to keep us from that, for life to go smoothly? When it doesn't go smoothly and he doesn't answer the prayers in the way that we hoped that he would, we'll start to believe something about God that is untrue. We'll start to believe, well, he doesn't love me because he left me in this hard time. And so what I want to do is I just want to go to God's word right now and for us to look at this concept of protection. When God says that he is going to protect us, what is it that he means? John chapter 17, if you would turn with me there. We find ourselves in what's called the high priestly prayer. And it's this thing where Jesus, right? You look at the the gospel of John, and this book outlines three and a half years of Christ's life, but a third of this book is dedicated to what takes place in one day. And that's where we find ourselves. Jesus, forsaking the popularity and the crowds, steps back and spends this time and talks to his disciples before the eve of his death. And then he closes out this time and he spends time praying. Jesus spent his whole life talking to men about God. And now as he's preparing to go to the cross, Jesus spends his time talking to God about men. And he invites us all to eavesdrop and to hear what he says. The unique thing about this prayer is that this is Jesus, God himself, talking to God. Most of the time when we pray for folks, we're in the dark of exactly what they need. Right? So we, as pastors, pray through all the names of those that are part of this church, and there's some times where we have to sit and pray, and we say, God, I don't know exactly what they need, but you do. Jesus, who is God himself, knows exactly what they need. So as we sit here... Right. Listen, today is not about instruction. It's not about things that you should do. It's not about how you failed primarily to live up to what God has called you to do. I want you to think of today as this is a time where I get to listen to what Jesus is praying for me. And more than being led out of here feeling like there's something that I've got to do, there's something that I've got to work for, I want you to leave out of here convinced there's somebody that I've got to worship. John chapter 17, starting at verse 12, it says this, While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. There's two things that I want to talk about today. And the very first one is this. Our need for protection 
and why it is that God protects us that way. But here's the big theme. If you leave with one thing, I want you to leave with this. Jesus protects us in order that he might project us. Jesus saves us so that he can send us. He doesn't save us to set us up on a shelf. He saves us so that he can send us. The very first thing, our need for protection. Look here with me in verse 12. It says this, verse 12 and 13. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except for the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Let's stop right there. The very first thing that Christ brings up is not the danger that we're in. The very first thing that he brings up is who it is that's protecting us. Because if you have somebody that's protecting you, that you trust, then it doesn't matter what you come up against. And so Jesus starts off, and look, as he refers to himself, he refers to himself as a protector. We're used to thinking of Jesus as a savior, as a teacher, as a healer, as an activist. But Jesus starts here and he says, no, 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 no. While they were with me, I kept them. In your name, which you have given me, I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. He starts off and he says, I'm a protector, and I'm good at my job. Y'all ain't with me. There's too many folks here in this room that may think that you do a good job of protecting yourself. To be with Jesus is to be kept by Jesus. And the yes comes from the people that know that they've done a terrible job of keeping themselves. The yes comes from the people that know that the only reason why they're still walking with the Lord is not because of their resolve. It's not because life has gone the way that they thought that it would. It's because they serve a Jesus that keeps them. Y'all don't know the track record of the people that Jesus is saying, I kept them. If y'all knew the stories of people, if y'all knew what 2015 was like, when I never doubted that God was there, but I doubted that God was good because I lost a brother and I didn't lose him based on a murder or a sickness or a plane crash. Because if that took place, there was somebody that I could look at and say, it's your fault. I lost him because he went to sleep and he didn't wake up. And as somebody that believes in God, I never struggled with, is God there? I struggled with, is all this stuff about God true? And there were so many times where I just wanted to punt everything that I've learned and walked away. And I tried hard to forget about this God and to put him out of my mind. And I was so frustrated. But the only reason why I'm still here is to because to be with Jesus is to be kept by him. Jesus, Jesus is a protector and he's good at his job. Doesn't lose anybody. And you may look here and say, well, John, Jesus was 11 out of 12. That that's still good. But 
there's somebody that can be lost. And if there's somebody that can be lost, then I can be that one. And that's what he says here. Look, look, look. He says, yeah, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost. And then he says here, except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. Listen, what he's saying is the one that I lost, Judas, the one that really didn't make it to the end. It's not that I lost him. It's that he was never part of the group in the first place. Listen, this is not primarily meant to be a warning passage, right? There are those through the text. And anytime we think of Judas, we should be warned because Judas was somebody that had prominence among God's people. Judas was somebody that had proximity to Jesus. He was so, so close to him for three and a half years. Judas was somebody that was productive, right? It's not like all the rest of the disciples healed folks and Judas just couldn't because if that took place and folks would say, man, I don't know about that guy, Judas. Judas was somebody that had all of this and because he had all of this, because he had prominence among God's people, because he had proximity, he was close, because he was productive, it seemed to the outside as if he was one of the crew, but Jesus said, no, 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 no. Judas was never one of the crew. And so it should warn us to the extent so that you and I know it's not okay just to, 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 to be close. It is great to have a grandmother that prays for you, but your grandmother cannot save you regardless of how close you are. Jesus doesn't have vicarious relationships through other people. This is not tag in grade school where you're safe just so long as you touch somebody that, that touch, uh, touches home base. Jesus is longing for personal relationships with people. So this is meant to warn us some, but it's meant more for us to see and to look and to say, wait a minute. Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him from the start. And did you see the way that Jesus loved him and served him for those three and a half years? If Jesus could serve somebody that was going to lead to his brutal murder on the cross. What's he going to do when his children fail? You don't have to be scared to, to come to him. If Jesus is showing this kind of love to somebody who he knows is going to put him on the cross, if you are actually his child, do you actually think that he's going to turn you away if you come and say, I've messed up? No. To be with God is to be kept by him. And Jesus is saying, listen, I don't want you to think that I lost one. I want you to know that I've kept them all. A pilot that lands 11 out of 12 planes and crashes the last one is not a good pilot. A God that saves and keeps 11 out of 12 people is not a good savior. Jesus is saying, everybody that comes to me and puts their trust in me will be saved. To be with Jesus is to be protected by Jesus. So your response 
is not to leave out of here and think that what's really going to save you or keep you is your resolve. Your goal is not to leave out of here and think that what's going to keep you and save you is your future promises to be faithful to the God. Your job is not to leave out of here and think that what's going to keep you is if God answers your prayer and makes sure that life doesn't turn out hard. Your job is to leave out of here and to be reminded that everybody that God saves, he keeps. So it doesn't drive you to work. It drives you to worship. That's why folks sing. That's why we gather here to praise a great God that saves and keeps those that he can save. Listen. As as we hear about our need for protection, it starts off with our protector so that we are reminded circumstances aren't the main factor. It's not about what you're up against. It's who's on your side. And if Jesus is on your side, you have a reason today to worship and to rejoice regardless of what life looks like. It's good to have a protector, but it's also important to know the conflict or the danger that lies. So Christ does not just stop saying that he came here to protect, which he has, but he goes on and he explains the conflict that we're thrown into, and it's close to home. Look here at verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. What he's saying is, look, the conflict that the Christian or those that put their faith and trust in Christ will face is the world that they live in. And it's important that he says this because in the same way that you and I don't uh, uh, inherently think of Jesus as protector, we don't tend to think of the world as an enemy. We come into the world and we think everything that the world that we live in has to offer is desirable. We come in and think that fulfillment will be found if I get that advancement on my job, And so in order to get that advancement on my job, what takes place is I'll do the best job that I can to fit in. We think that joy comes in in sex and being able to act out sexually however we want. We think that joy comes in being able to use my time however I want. That this world that we live in makes it seem as if, you know, Our loves will be fulfilled once we get all it is that we want. And Jesus is quick to remind us, listen, as a result of the fact that I gave them my word, do you know what's going to come as a result of that? Conflict with the world. Our conflict comes in the realm of identity, who we are, because here's what God's word does. God's word from the outset of the Bible creates life. Jesus comes as God's word in the flesh to tell us what God is like, to draw us away from the love of the world into the love of himself. And then what God's word does is it creates new life inside of us. So God's word gives us a brand new identity. And this is what puts us in conflict with the world. 
Christianity of every religion is the most inclusive in the sense that it says nobody is too far gone to be brought in. Regardless of how you identify yourself, whether your identity is rooted in in status, in money, in accomplishments, in achievements, in orientation, regardless of what it is, Christianity invites everybody in. But what it says is that all right, you can come in regardless of what your identity was, but your identity will be changed. Nobody gets to keep the identity that they came in with. Everybody has to come. Everybody comes and says, the identity that I had it made me think that the world was out here for my joy and I longed for it. But then God came in and he spoke this word and this word was come as you are, but you are not okay the way that you are. The way that you are incurs God's wrath. The way that you are will land you in hell. And Jesus said, but the good news is I'm a protector. I, I can shield you from God's wrath. I'll take all of that and I'll keep you and I'll make sure that once I brought you in, you never have to go. But everything about who you are, it does change. And so he says, I gave them your word. God's word is an expression of who God is. I gave you a brand new identity. And what takes place is now the source of your joy is going to be the very thing that causes the world's hatred that the world that we live in it seems friendly until we're called away from it and speak out against it martin lawrence uh wrote a movie that illustrates this point so well 1996 he wrote and starred in this film a thin line between love and hate right how you remember this right Martin Darnell uh, owned this nightclub. And one day there was this one lady that came in, Brandy. Brandy seemed like she had it all. Successful, it was fine. And Martin was like, that's her. Goes after her and gets her and feels like he's in love. But then he remembers that he really doesn't love her. He loves Regina King. So things are all well and good until he breaks up with her. And then when he breaks up with her, when he pulls his love from her and gives his love to somebody else, what takes place is he sees how crazy she is. Right? And y'all laugh. There's some um, um, of y'all that have dated in Atlanta and you're like, John, you ain't never spoke a word that's been more true. So now that he pulls this love from her, right, what was love, it's hate. She destroys his nightclub. She comes after him with guns. She takes the tires off his car so he can't go anywhere. And he ends up at the end of the movie hospitalized. Why? Because she was never his friend in the first place. She wanted to take from him, to suck from him. And what seemed like love 
as soon as he found a new love and a true love and he pulled away from the word, it felt like hatred. And what he's saying is this. Christ saying, as a result of the word that I gave them, the identity that I've placed inside of them, they will never feel at place in the world. They are not of the world. There's going to be conflict there. As a result of what Christ has done, we think of protection as I'm trying to avoid conflict. What he's saying is, as a result of the joy that I gave you, you will have conflict that you didn't have. That you used to just be able to fit in. But now, you can't go on a a march just for women's rights because you want to speak about rights of the unborn. But as soon as you want to speak about rights of the unborn, then they say, well, that's not what this is for. Or we find ourselves as, as those who, who may want to protest at times, and that's all well and good with all of the folks that want to protest, but as soon as we call folks to remember, hey, it's fine to protest, but do you know what? Man, God's word has changed me, and it's changed me, and it reminds me that my fate and future is not determined by somebody that's in office. It's determined by God himself. So therefore, I have the freedom not to hate this man, but to pray for him. And folks are fine if you want to protest, but not if you want to pray. There's folks that want to pray, but don't want to protest. And as a result of what God has done, what takes place is there's this conflict where regardless of where you go, you constantly find yourself as an outsider because of what God has done in your life. And Jesus is saying, yeah, I know that it's the case. He knows it so much because he's like, I'm the very one that caused it. Here's the point. As long as we find ourselves in this world, if we really are a Christian and have gotten a new identity from Jesus, we will never feel at home. Regardless of how much you try to fit in, you're always going to be an outsider. And it's going to cost you something. God's grace comes to us free, but it's costly because it is demanding. And it is going to cost us something. But the beauty of what takes place is that as we think of this world that we, we live in, this kind of stream, this current where everybody is headed, And we're constantly swimming upstream. We have to be reminded that we may get tired, but God doesn't get tired. So if you're here and you feel hopeless in the prospect of remaining faithful to the Lord amidst the constant pressures that you feel daily, I want you to know the good news of what we see here is that we have a protector that doesn't get tired. We have a protector that doesn't sleep. We have a protector whose eye is always on us and attentive to what we need. We have a protector that births people in this world by the power of his word. And he's not an absentee father. So he's not going to give us life and then leave us to fend for ourselves. 
He knows that he is the one responsible for the conflict that we face here in this world. So he's promised that he would protect us. That's what we want from God, that he would protect us. However, I want you to look here at this text. I want you to be reminded of the way that he's promised to protect us. We'll talk about how and then we'll go into why. Verse 15, and this flies in the face of what we think of protection. 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to get. If you don't get anything else, listen. The way that God often protects is not by removal, but by preservation. So what he's saying is, no, 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 no. It's not that I'm going to protect you by providing a trouble-free life. I'm going to protect you by hurling you into trouble and ensuring that you're kept safe. And this is the pattern of what goes on in the Bible. Genesis, Joseph, 17 years old. God said that he was going to be a ruler. And the next 13 years of his life, what takes place is Joseph is excelling on his job, finds himself alone with his boss's wife. And she says, Joseph, I want you. And he says, look, he doesn't say, Well, I shouldn't because if he finds out, I'm going to lose my job. Well, I shouldn't because I'm not really into you like that. What he says is, man, God's changed me. How could I do such this, this great thing and sin against my God? And so as a result of this, he's falsely accused and he's thrown in jail and he's in jail for years. Longing, waiting for, for God to get him out. And do you know what? God leaves him there for years until he's ready to use him. But what God does is God protects him. Exodus, you see a man by the name of Moses. And what takes place is this. Moses is somebody that was living the life for 40 years in a palace. And then what takes place is he sees an injustice take place. He hastily stands up against that injustice and kills this man. And they find out, and he's exiled from this land 40 years in the wilderness. And then one day, he comes across this bush. And this bush is burning. And what he says is, this bush is burning, but it's not consumed. I've got to see what, what, what is this? What could take place that fire could come and something could be preserved in the midst of that fire, unharmed? And that's where he meets God. And then God sends him to go save his people and to draw them out. And do you know what takes place? He spends the next 40 years in a wasteland with no food or water. And do you know what God doesn't do? Take them to the promised land quickly. God leaves them there for 40 years and he takes care of their needs. He preserves them while he's there. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like we read, what took place was The belief that they had in the Lord caused them to stand up in opposition against 
what the world was trying to tell them to do. And as a result of that, they were thrown into fire. And the God that speaks the world into existence, the God that with a word could have caused everybody to drop down, lets them get thrown into the fire. Daniel, lions then, we, 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 uh, we all know that story. Over and over and over, this is the pattern. This is what God does. God protects not by removal, but often by preservation. He leaves us in harm's way. And Jesus goes so far as to say, God, I don't ask that you would take them out, but that you would keep them. If, if I was there, I'd be like, nah, Jesus. You ain't had to say that. Ask that God will give me strength, but ask that he would take me out. And this is the pattern all the way until you get to the Lord Jesus, who was somebody that although he was popular at times in his day and age, as a result of the word, the identity that he had, remember, people hated Jesus. Jesus was not wealthy. Jesus didn't have all of this prestige. Jesus lived his life doing nothing wrong and was given the worst death. But do you know what God did? He preserved them through that death. And his resurrection after his death for our sins Gave us this life. And if this is the pattern throughout the Bible that we see in Jesus, what he wants us to see is it's going to be no different with you, his child. But just because he doesn't protect you in the way that we tend to think of protection, it doesn't mean that he doesn't love you. If anything, do you know what this thing should do? This part? It should cause some of us in here to change our prayers. Maybe some of your prayers are unanswered, not because God has a disdain for you, but because you're praying for the wrong thing. Instead of praying for separation, maybe we should be more diligent to pray for strength in the midst of the worst of times. We have a great need for protection because of the world that we live in, although the current is subtle, it is strong. It's strong enough to sweep away somebody who spent three years face to face with Jesus. We are not up against an enemy that we can face ourselves. So Christ starts off here and he says, hey, you have a protector that can withstand any conflict, and I want you to know the type of protection that I offer. Why does he do things that way? There are certain things in the Bible that are a mystery to all of us and will remain a mystery until we meet Jesus. Why he protects this way is not a mystery. It's something that's very, very plain. Christ protects us in order that he might project us. We talked about our need for protection, but what we see here is this, our world's need for projection. Verse 17, sanctify them, or yeah, 
Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Listen, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may be sanctified in the truth. Sanctify that, 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 that word means to be made holy, right? To be changed, right? We've been made that way based on God's word, what God has done into our lives in the same way that God spoke and gave us life. What he's praying here is that God will continue to give us new life and to change us to look more and more like him. But that word also, also means that we would be set aside for a purpose, that, that God would save us, but he would use us for a purpose. And that purpose is that you and I would be projected or sent into the world. Old school projectors back in the day, they used to use this, this stuff called uh, film, right? For those of you all that are young, younger, uh, we, uh, uh, we used to have this thing called film. So when we would go to the movies, it wouldn't be on a computer, but it would be like, yeah, film would run through. And so film was this, this like, this, uh, all right. So film was this, it was small, black, translucent, unimpressive. It really didn't look like much until light shined through that film. And then what took place was what, what just looked like ordinary Film presented this grand picture of amazing stories. What was important wasn't the film, but what was, well, what was important, what was on the film, what had been imprinted on the film by somebody else, and then this light shines through to give a picture that drew folks in. Jesus says that when he came to this world, he came in order to be filmed in that way to fulfill what it means to be human and display what God looks like to a world. And then what he said is, now I've set them aside. I've changed them. I've saved them so that they can do the exact same thing and display the greatness of God to people that are at a loss for what God is really like. And here's why God preserves us in the way that he does. Because a world that constantly finds themselves in pain, in frustration, in depression, in anguish, in a rough marriage, in the loss of a job, in all of these things, a world that finds themselves in pain needs a God that can actually deal with that same type of pain. If God came through and always snatched you from bad circumstances, the world would never know just how satisfying God is in the midst of those hard times. So this is why the Bible says that all that find themselves in Christ, it's not that you're going to have less hard times. You're actually going to have the exact same amount of hard times as folks that live here in the, the world and more because you're in conflict with the world. And so what takes place is that if God is really as satisfying as he is, and he's really made us holy, then the world gets a picture of him that they would not have had otherwise. D.L. Moody says, one out of a hundred men will read the Bible. 
the other 99 will read the Christian. God imprints himself on us. And he sets us aside. Not like China, right? Hey, I grew up and in my mom's house, or she had this cabinet of China, these special plates that were to be used for a special purpose. And in 32 years of life, we have never had anybody special enough to use that. (laughs) But it was guarded and it was protected. There were plenty of things that my mom told me to stay away from that I touched. China was not one of those things. Listen, that's not what God's trying to do with you. He's not trying to set you aside like China for this special use where where you're not really used at all. He's protecting you in order that he could use you. And so in one sense, he is setting us aside like China. There's a special use that he has for us, but don't mistake the word special for Seldom. Every person that you meet or interact with is special. Everybody that you meet is somebody that God himself has imprinted aspects of his nature on. Everybody that you meet will live forever somewhere. The nation that we live in, it's not going to be around for all time. The culture that we're a part of, it's not going to be around for our time. The music that you love is not going to be around for a long time. The people that you interact with daily will live forever somewhere. And they are convinced that the worst thing that can take place in their life is bad circumstances. But God loves this world So much that he sent his son to portray a picture of what God is like that would call us from the love that would really seek to destroy us and to bring us back to him. And God loves this world so much that he sent you in a similar fashion. Not the same, verse 19 is here and it says, and for their sake, I can't unsecrate myself that they may be sanctified in the truth. Jesus' mission was unique in that he died for us to bring us to, to God. But it's similar to ours in that he died. He gave his life to set an example of what your life should look like. That the priority of your life would be displaying this great God and making him known. So the only charge or task that I have for you today, those that are Christians, is to live sent. Live as somebody that's been sent by God. There is a singular priority for your life. That word, Priority, up until modern times, was never used in a plural sense. Priorities. Well, I've got this, and I've got this, and I've got this. Originally, it was intended 
This is the guiding force of my life and everything else falls by the way. And for Christ to say, in the same way that God had sent him, how did God send him? Jesus was a man on a mission. Everything that he did was all about displaying God. Everybody that he met and talked to, his aim was to display what God is like. And he died on the cross, not just to save you, not just to protect you, but to send you to go out and to do the exact same thing. You have a single priority for your life. You don't have to be anxious about what does God want me to do with my life? What job does he want me to take? Who does he want me to meet? All of those things are going to take care of themselves in a sense. The single priority of your life with every ounce of your being is how am I being sent to the place that I'm at right now to display what God is like? Not only does it govern our priorities, but it changes our perspective, especially on hard times. Every hard time or trouble that comes into our life is not an obstacle to our joy. It's an opportunity to, to show that we serve this God that can put his people into the fire and they won't be consumed so that the rest of the world would look on and like Moses, they would say, I've got to turn and see this site, a bush that is burned and not consumed. I've got to turn and see this site, somebody that's struggling in their marriage, but they're not consumed. I've got to turn and see this site, somebody that deals with death, but it's not driven to despair. I've got to turn and see this site, somebody that finds themselves in constant conflict, but still has this joy that this is what God wants to do in you. You've been sent on the same mission as Jesus with the same power that he had. And most of all, I pray that it would change our prayers. That we would be a group of people that don't miss the miracles that God is doing and sustaining us because we're waiting for him to take us out of problems. But we would be a group of people that pray and ask for God to sustain us in the hardest of times and see that he actually does it and have a confidence that's built up in him to know that he would protect us. If you really believed that there was a God that would protect you from harm on the mission that he sent you on, what would you do? How would you spend the rest of your life? How would you spend the rest of today? I want you to know you have a protector that is good at his job. You have a protector that sent you into conflict and he's well aware of that conflict and he's promised to protect us by preserving us so that the world can see what he's like. How are you going to spend the rest of your life? There is a mission that we've been given that won't fail. And I want to invite you to be a part of that. Let's pray.